Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Teacher's Pet Podcast. This is your host, Trey Kabler. Um, it is the last weekend before school starts, so I know how most teachers feel right now. They're not exactly uh, super excited, but they're probably ready to see their kids and get the year started. Um, we have a lot of different episodes that have come out in the last couple weeks. Uh, I said on a couple previous episodes, we're going to hopefully be putting out two episodes a week during the school year, just because I don't have time for any more than that. Uh, but please let me know what you guys think of the recent episodes. Uh, Gina Nelson, who is the Oklahoma Teacher of the Year in 2020, uh, her episode will be coming out on Monday. Uh, we had a really good talk. And then Haley Al-Qaeda, who was, a, uh, who was one of my coworkers while I was in Oklahoma City, uh, she came on to talk about teacher burnout. Um, so please go listen to those. Let me know what you think. Um, I'm excited today for this episode. It kind of uh, just came out of nowhere. We both have been doing some podcasting recently. Uh, he's my old soccer coach, uh, somebody that I've kept in touch with throughout the years. Really good guy that's doing some really cool things with this podcast. Uh, so please welcome Mr. Justin Copeland. Justin, thanks for hopping on here. Trey, absolutely, man. It is definitely, definitely a privilege and an honor because as you've already mentioned, uh, I did get to coach you. So when I look at you now with the beard and the long hair, I still see that little kid um, from years ago that was just uh, bright eyed and, and bushy tailed. So to see you doing what you were doing over the course of the last 10 years has been um, a real treat. You know, it's one of those things that that we as coaches, uh, it's why we it's why we do what we did, you know, or what we do. So I appreciate it very much. Absolutely, man. Um <clears throat> Tell us a little bit about where you are right now, uh, what you're doing, what you have going on in your life. So I am currently and always will be. I'm a father first and foremost. Uh, I'm an Air Force veteran. And um, through those two things, I take a lot of pride in the fortunate uh, experiences that I've been able to have by, one, being a father and, and what that does for a person. Um, that's, that's my lifeblood. That's, that's what I pour everything into and, and why I function. Um, being able to serve our country is something that I'm, I'm very proud of. Uh, it's just, it was just a no brainer for me. Um, I'm a nine 11 kid. I was 18 when it happened. So from there, I, uh, I got to a spot where I said, you know, I'm not a nine to five cookie cutter type guy. I've always wanted to pursue paths and avenues that they excited me. I want to feel, we only get to do this one time. So I wanted to be as alive as possible. Um, and, and that took me after a few years of kind of trying to figure things out as a young man, I got into coaching and was fortunate enough for about 10 years to do that professionally and work with some of the most incredible people and mentors that I have ever encountered. Uh, from there, I have, like I said, two boys that are 14 and nine, they're with me full time and coaching, as you know, as a teacher, that is a 24 seven gig. Your phone is never off. Your email is never off. Your expectations are never off. And so trying to raise two boys and be present as a father and not just, you know, there, but to be present, I had to make a choice and, and I got into uh, what I'm now doing. That's digital sales and marketing from there. Uh, about eight months ago, I had uh, I sat back and I said, you know, I want to change what I'm doing. I want to be able to give back, uh, probably missing some of the things from coaching. And I started the blog, Navigating the Intentional Life. 
uh, which then is, you know, was kind of the, the foundation for the podcast, navigating the intentional life uh, that I've been doing now for the last three months, I would say, as far as the podcast goes. So that's where I'm at. Uh, the message that, um, that we're trying to get across, we can get into, but that is, uh, that is, that is where I'm at currently. Yeah, man, I'm really happy for you. Um, you know, obviously, last time I last time I probably saw you in person might have been my senior year of high school. So I mean, it's been quite a while now, but I've always followed where you've been, what you were doing. Um, I was really excited for you that you landed coaching down in Texas because I knew that that was really probably somewhere that you enjoyed. You really liked to to do it. I thought I would have run onto you on the uh, soccer field as a referee whenever I was so busy doing that, but. Never, never had the fortune of getting yelled at by you in that capacity. Oh uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, man. The uh, the funny thing about coaching is you're probably finding it in teaching, is that you you're gonna do what you know, right? When you first start, and man, when I first started, when I was coaching you, I had no idea what I was doing, how to manage the team, how to manage young players, and and also manage a game. And so, I feel for some of those referees when I was a younger baby coach. Uh, because I, I play, I coached like I played, man. It was just, it was war for me. You know, I didn't look at it as sportsmanship to me. Sportsmanship was shaking hands after we beat, you know, beat your butt at the end of the game, you know? So I was definitely a nightmare, but I learned as I went, I became my own voice and, and my own, uh, my own man, as far as coaching went and, and definitely backed that off. But I have a lot of respect. I saw when you started refereeing, I was like, that's bold. That is absolutely <laughs> bold, you know? You, uh, man, I, I think, I think part of the reason I never had problems my first couple of years, uh, managing a bunch of kids and getting them all to kind of pay attention and all be together was because of that experience. Cause if you can run around on a junior college soccer field with a bunch of 19 year old hormone inducing roid ragers, uh, you can do just about anything. So, um, Let's let's get into your journey just a little bit. I want to start off um, with your service, right? Because there's a lot of kids that um, there's a lot of kids that get out of high school uh, and they don't know exactly kind of what their direction is in life. Um, and the military is something that's certainly an option for a lot of those kids. Obviously, your motivations for signing up uh, were the attacks on 9/11, as it was for a lot of kids of that generation, I imagine. Um, but talk about your experience uh, being in being in the Air Force, uh, what it gave to you, what you would tell the kids that might be thinking about doing that. Yeah, so for me, the military was something that I got to see early as a young man. My grandfather on my mom's side was retired Army. He, he spent a lot of years uh, as an MP, traveled the world with it. That's where he met my grandmother. Uh, he was over in Tirschenreut, Germany, and met her there and brought her back. Right. And so growing up, I got to see the benefits of his service. He ended up going reserve by the time, you know, I was around. But, you know, he had all of the, the, the different gear and the trinkets. And, you know, when I'd sit the night at his house, he had the cots that they'd sleep on whenever they were on deployment. <clears throat> so early, it was something that I was fascinated with. I think as a, as a young man, as a boy, we romanticize different things because just genetically we're made to want to have adventure, to, to push the, the edge of that envelope right there to that last little spot where you go, I could get hurt from this, 
but I might not. And if I don't, now I've got a story, right? So early on, that excitement from it stemmed from my grandfather. Um, and then from there, you know, I've just always wanted to be a part of something that was bigger than myself, that, that I could, I knew just from being a part of it, I was doing something that mattered. It took me a bit. Yes, 9-11 spurred that for a lot of people. I didn't get in until several years after um, because I had you know, a lot of uh, medical uh, things that I had to go through. And at 18 and with what I was going through, my, you know, my parents were divorcing and there was a lot of scatter of documents and I broke my back. So they wanted to see all this documentation. And at 18, you don't give a damn. You're just like, hey, sign me up. Let's go. This is what I'm going to do. If not, I'm going to take me where the breeze takes me now. You know, so when I did finally, finally get to sign that dotted line, um, I mean, I, can, I can't confirm nor deny whether I was completely honest at that point about all of my medical things. But um, <laughs> I got in and it was, you know, the Air Force was like my third choice. Um, out of the branches because you want to do the big sexy. I wanted to go Marines. And if it wasn't that, I wanted to go Army. Uh, I wanted to punch back. And my grandfather actually was kind of the one that said, man, don't do either one of those. Go into the Air Force. They're going to take care of you. The installations are nicer. And man, he wasn't wrong. I mean, he, was, he just, he wasn't wrong. Um, but that experience, it reminded me at the time that I went in, it, it stoked that fire inside of me that I, I wanted to be more relevant. I wanted to have stories for my life. When, when I sit back and all this is done, I want to know that I've lived as much as I possibly can. And so that was kind of the rebirth of that, that spirit inside of me because it was a challenge. And all my military guys are going, you were in the Air Force. What kind of challenge is that? You know, like you're in the rear with the gear, but the, the boot camp was the first step. I just wanted to go and get that done and say that I could do it. And I graduated with honors at the top of my, 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 uh, unit. And then from there it was our tech school. And it was, it was five and a half, six months out at Fort Leonard, Missouri, um, doing chemical warfare, which was insane. It was stuff that we did that it, I'll just say this way. It seemed like it was out of a sci-fi movie. Right. Some of the things that, that we got to experience and some of the stuff that they put us through. Um, but it taught me that discipline again. It taught me that I need to consistently be planning for the unplannable. And that's a dynamic to my life that, that I can I can add to any variant and say it only makes sense because we don't have control. So it, it was a reawakening of my spirit. It brought me around some of the most phenomenal, fascinating people that. I, I mean, the stories, I, I, you wouldn't believe me if I told you right now, you know, it just, it just incredible what there is going on around us on a daily. And so that service is something that I still, I, I still hold on to it at 39. I go, man, I'd love to go back in, but I'm an old man. Um, <laughs> it's not, it's not an old man's game. You know, I get upset if my, my shower is too cold in the morning now. So I have no business going back into something like that. That's awesome, man. Yeah, you know, I I have a lot of some of my I don't know how I, I seem to attract a lot of vets as the people that I hold closest to me. And I think it's partly out of an admiration because I know uh, what they've gone through. Um, but there's, you know, there's a lot of kids that 
coming out of school and going into something like that where they find a sense of discipline, a sense of brotherhood and camaraderie uh, can really be a life-changing force for them. So it's nice to hear that uh, even looking back on it, you uh, you still want to jump in, even though I don't know how you'd feel in the morning afterwards. Um, <laughs> you're not that old, by the way, but I, uh, I know the beat yeah. you take doing it. <laughs> the one thing that I would say, because I, I don't think I answered it because I got caught up in, in reminiscing really, but for kids now, my own sons, you know, they've, they have shown interest in potentially doing that one day. It's not for everybody. Right. And everybody is going to have a different reason for, for why they want to go in. And, and that's okay. You don't have to have the, I'm so patriotic mentality. Some people I know went in because they legitimately just wanted their college paid for. Right. So that, that what, and your why is up to you. Right. Mm -hmm. The how is faith. Right. The how is whatever faith you may have, whether you're religious, whether you're not, but you figure out the what and the why. And then you go from there and allow everything else to play out. And you have to drown out that outside noise because why I went in compared to a lot of my friends who went in, we all had different reasons for service. But I think it's it is massively beneficial in a lot of ways. But you have to understand the military is a lot like a marriage and married people out there will understand this. You're going to love it and hate it at the same damn time. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. But the one thing I will tell you that the biggest thing to help me with that aspect of going in is you have to understand what it means to live between the dates, right? Cause you can look at, you know, this date and say, here's the end date and go, man, that's not a lot of time. I can do this, but that's when you're on the outside and life is regular. Life is mundane, right? When you're in the thick of it, those dates can be like this from the outside, but when you're in the thick of it, it looks like this. It's, it's, it, it seems like it could be forever. So you have to learn to live between the dates. And to do that, you have to understand your why and your what when you start looking at wanting to join something like the military. Absolutely. Well, and I think we can apply that concept to, uh, to a lot of life just in general, right? Is that the, the really crap times uh, tend to feel like they last decades while the good ones just go by like that so we'll get into that in a minute i want to pivot a little bit um i wanted to talk about coaching and what that's like for you i mean obviously you you were personally i think probably growing obviously as you uh were coaching and learning um about yourself and about how to be a coach um what is that lifestyle like you said it a little bit earlier about just being busy all the time but what is the lifestyle like of being a full-time coach? So <clears throat> it is the most antisocial job that, that I've ever had. I don't want to say it's the most antisocial job out there, but, and, and people don't have not gotten that when I've said it in the past because you're constantly around people. But when you're coaching, whether it's at the youth level, at the college level, high school level, whatever those levels, you're working. Right. When those people are around, you're working. It's not hangout time. Some coaches treat it that way. And those aren't very good coaches. Um, but for me, coaching was beyond the ball. Coaching was that opportunity to give back in a way that I wasn't given the opportunity when I was a kid because I did grow up in small town, Oklahoma, because I didn't have coaching staff that had played the game that knew what it was like they i had dads that were awesome at what they did and i'm very thankful for them 
Um, I still had some great experiences as a player from that. But when I step out to coach, it's, it's a platform of the overall picture is that I have an hour and a half to maybe be the most positive thing in these players' day, that this is their time and their release. So I've got to be at my best and consistent at that best as much as possible. And so as a young coach, you know, when I started, when I was coaching you, I was an infant, you know, it was, it was trying to figure out how to run a session to how I talked to you, how I spoke to you would be different than how I would talk to some of the other players on your team, because you're a different person. And some of the best man management are some of the best managers, whether it's a sports manager or, you know, in the business world, they understand their people and what gets them to tick. And conversely, what is going to shut them down? Because I had players that I could absolutely just chew their ass and it would light them up like a firework. Other players, it shut them down real quick, right? But I'll tell you right now, the biggest thing that I learned was what I was doing was, yes, I was teaching a game, but I was teaching them how to apply a passion to their life and and grow from that and have that self-confidence to believe that through, you know, being cliche here, through being consistent, working hard, having your heart in the right place that you can you can accomplish a lot. You know, success is subjective, right? Like it's not something that is going to fit into a jar for everyone, right? The same one. It's going to be different for all of us. But that was my my um, mindset with coaching, especially there towards the end. Yeah, absolutely. That year that I spent coaching at Putnam City, I uh... – <clears throat> the same thing, right? It's like as a first-year coach, it's kind of like being like a first-year teacher, like you said. You really don't – you don't have a feel for the organization and how things flow yet. You might really know the game. You might, you might know the tactics and everything else, but figuring out how you fit into that personally can be a really difficult challenge. So um, let's uh, once again shift here. So obviously the main reason I wanted to have you on is because uh, – Whenever we talk about education on this podcast, a really key part of educating students um, is parents and family, right? And unfortunately, uh, the needs of students in schools are not getting lower. Uh, they're getting higher, right? We have more kids coming from homes where their parents are working, you know, two and three jobs, uh, more homes where kids only uh, might have a parent in prison, whatever it is, right? We have kids that are coming in with a lot more baggage, it seems like, than probably in the last 10 to 15 years. So that being said, talking to you, somebody that puts being a father as a priority is really refreshing, and that's part of the part of the reason I really wanted to get you on today. Talk about uh, the Intentional Life blog and podcast. Um, what What was your motivation and then also, what do you talk about on there? So that's a great question. Um, the, the birth of this came from probably years of, of looking at what I've been fortunate enough to do and comparing it to some of the people around me. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of different things, lived a lot of different places. And the evaluation of risk assessment for me is vastly different than I feel like the majority of people do. And 
I wanted to try to figure that out, the psyche of that, to expand that message to somebody else to where they could grab something and apply it to their life was kind of the genesis of navigating the intentional life. From there, the expansion for me is knowing your why, right? For me, doing what I'm doing, I can talk about financial sovereignty. I can talk about never wanting to have somebody tell me when and where I have to be ever again. And yes, that's a part of it, but it's the overall dynamic of this. Like, I can't tell you to do something if I myself haven't done it or I myself am not willing to do it because you're going to learn the most from doing, but you're going to learn the most from seeing. With these two boys, when I look at my job as a parent, it's not to make them many versions of myself. It is not to be the person that tells them, look, you've got to go to college. You've got to do this and try to fit this cookie cutter societal um, expectation on them. For me, it's my job is to teach them how to think outside of that and have the ability to take on their life head first and not anchor them to not snuff out those wants, um, assuming that they're all healthy, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's just, that's part of the, the job as a parent. And you talk about the homes and the, and the kids that you're dealing with, you know, look, there are a lot of parents and there are a lot of homes that have both, but those parents aren't present. They're absent. And as a coach, I was absent. I was an absent father and I lived in the home day in and day out. Well, that's, that's not doing the job. That's, that's causing more harm than good. <clears throat> Too many parents look at, well, that's education. I've seen it. You see it. They drop their kids off to you. It's like, thanks for the babysitting. I'm free. I'm clear. I'm out. Right. It's up to you. And then you catch the slack, the flack whenever they don't perform. Well, I told you as a coach, it's not good enough if you only do this two days a week, right? You've got to do it at home. And it's the same thing with my kids. The work that they do in school, we carry over into the home so they can start to grasp that. And it's my job to set that standard for them, not yours. I don't want it to be yours. I absolutely don't. And I like you. I respect you. But that is my damn job, not anybody else's. So that's how I see I see that pandemic with children and parents today. And that was the other part of doing navigating the intentional life of saying, I've got a lot to say about parenting and I have the shoulders to take the crap that I'm going to get back that people aren't going to agree with because it's going to be in your face. I'm going to tell you that your kids are on their their Xbox and their computers too much. If you don't like it, change it or don't listen. Well, you you just covered a ton of stuff and I really want to kind of dive into each one. I, I love what you just said, man. I love that you just said, you don't expect me to teach that to your kids because quite frankly, I don't want to do that, right? My job as an educator is to give them the skills and the knowledge that they need to be a successful adult human being based on the things that I'm, I'm supposed to be teaching them. I don't want it to be a part of my day that I have to basically be uh, a pseudo counselor to kids because they don't have a parent that cares about them. Right. I don't want that to be part of my job, but more and more we have so many kids coming in that they, they don't feel like they have that guiding force. So all this being said, right. Um, you just said there's things that you talk about on your show that might make people mad. They might not agree with um, talk about the things, the biggest problems that you see with, a lot of parents in our society. 
<clears throat> so when I look at your situation that you're in, you're a male teacher. The majority of your field is female, right? The higher number is female. We have a, we have a big issue in society right now with gender structure, with the toxic masculinity stuff. I think the biggest issue with parenting right now is, you know, I focus a lot on the man side of things because I'm a father. I know what it is to be a dude and, and what my expectations are for myself. And when it comes to the content that I'm putting out, it is a little bit more geared towards men, but we've got a society today where a lot of our boys are around females 85% of their day. I'm not taking away from what these women do by any stretch of the imagination. Let me make that very clear. I'm very proud of those women. I'm very proud of the stay at home single moms or the ones that are out there busting their bus for three jobs to take care of their kids because 43% of our homes are fatherless. And that number is specifically higher when I start talking about absent parents, right? That are there, but they're, they're not there, right? So I think the biggest, the biggest issue that, that, that I have is teaching boys to be men right? Not the band, but the boys turning into men. We, we joked before we started talking about paintball kind of being a rite of passage. Our guys, our kids, my kids, I'm building rites of passages for them. It's where they go, you know what? I'm a little bit bigger today, right? And it's all within this foundation of what we believe from our moral structure that makes a man good, that makes a man a contributing member to their society. Like you said, it is not your job to put those things into my child, male or female, right? That is the parent's role. That is the parent's job. And the, the message that's been put out lately that I've seen, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a lot of extra responsibilities on teachers to take that role on. Like you said, pseudo counselors, right? We're missing it. We're failing our children on a regular basis because of that mentality and you know like this you know tomorrow i'll be recording with a guy by the name of zach small on instagram it'll be a live feed we're going to specifically talk about the damage of technology and, and children and that's again people are going to have issues with that that's fine so i'll stop there i get going and, and i don't want to step on any toes there with with that but no i i want you to keep going um no so what you're just talking about right i was uh Yesterday, I was talking with a, a man named Milton Bowens. He's a uh, he's basically in charge of kind of all the curriculum and instruction for Chickasha Public Schools. Um, and he was talking about how their school is basically being forced at the moment to provide wraparound services for a lot of their students. Right. So, you know, they're lucky they have a good community that can provide things for their kids. Uh, they have they have counselors that are volunteering to come in and talk to kids a couple times a week, things like that. But it's like you said, there is a problem with absent parents in this country. I could not agree with that statement anymore if I tried. I was very lucky that I didn't have that problem in my life, right? right. I had good parents, uh, people like Michael Watson, who you know very well active yep. parents in their lives and you see how that pays dividends over the years right even though kids might go through struggles they have a they have a base and they know who they are and they can navigate through that because of that base um why 
Why do you think that the problem of absent parenting is such an issue currently in our society? I think there's a lot of things that play into that. First off, it's, it's not cheap anywhere anymore, right? The demand for jobs, I mean, it, it's, it's consistently fluctuating. It's, the days are, are practically gone where families are able to afford one parent staying at home all the time. I mean, you hit on it earlier. There are parents that are working two, three plus jobs just to make ends meet. Well, something has to give in that process, right? Because you still have to sleep at minimum six hours a night, minimum, right? You still have all these different things in between. You've got to work your eight to five and you, you start to lose these hours. Well, something has to give. Unfortunately, a lot of the times it's the attention to our children. It's, are you, are you getting that homework done? Okay, great. But there's no follow-up, right? You can't have that consistency when you yourself are struggling to keep your head above water, right? So we start there with the idea that it's not cheap to live. Gone are the days of the single income home, right? From there, again, going back to technology, I think it's all too easy in this technological boom to be able to say, there's the TV, here's your tablet, here's your phone, and it's now our babysitter. You push them off because mommy's tired, daddy's frustrated, right? We want to be able to still be ourselves because when you become a parent, man, you're still you. You're just now responsible for keeping this other thing alive, right? And those responsibilities only become larger in scale as they get older. But my point in that is saying when we start getting into why parents are absent, jobs, your own selfish wants, like there's still things that I want to do. There's still times where I go, can you guys just go away for a little bit so that I can freaking breathe, right? And too often that gets caught up in the mix. And I see it with friends. I'm not going to call them out. I see it around me. Parents, you can tell they're not keyed in to what it is they're doing. It's almost like it's, I don't want to say that the child is a burden, but the child is a casualty in a sense to the parents want to still feel like they're 25 or want to have their own personal lives all the time. Not that that's not healthy, but there's a washout in that process. And too often it's the children. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to push it in this direction. I think as well, whenever we're talking about technology, I, I make it a big point in my class to talk about technology and society and how, you know, society really has not kept up with the fast changes um, in technology. Things like social media, for instance, is something that is completely new to our society and how we function as groups and how we think as groups. Um, and we've seen all the mess that it has caused in our lives. Um, whenever we talk about technology, I definitely, I harp on kids. Like, you know, this is a obsession that you have. It's an addiction that a lot of them have. Um, and it's something that if they're young and they become aware of it, they can actually tend to self-correct it. Um, have you watched The Social Dilemma? Do you know what that is? I have. It's terrifying. But it's a, it's a must watch yeah. for any parent. Must watch. We, uh, we watched it in class uh, before we read Fahrenheit 451. And after we watched it, I had a challenge in class. I, I asked my kids beforehand, I was like, what's the average amount of time you spend on your phone every day? Um, and probably the average is around six and a half hours, mm -hmm. a quarter of every single day, which is horrifying to me. 
I had some kids that it was as high as 11 hours a day. And this is during the school year. Um, and so, you know, in my mind, I don't tell them this, but in my mind, I'm like, well, these parents obviously aren't taking an interest in the lives of their kid and what they're doing. Right. That's how I look at it. But to these kids, I'm like, that's not my responsibility to say that. It's my responsibility to say, now you're aware of it. What are you going to do about it? Um, we did a phone challenge in school for the next week where they had to give it to me at the beginning of the day and then they could come get it at the end of the day. And after we did that, um, a lot of them, it would drop down by like half, which it's still not great. Um, but, you know, kids kids tend to actually have an awareness. And so once you bring a problem to their eye, um, they might not be perfect at fixing it, but at least they go, oh, I can do something about this if I really want to. And it's empowering. This all being said, kids definitely have a problem with technology, but it's been enabled by parents. And I actually honestly believe that a lot of parents – have the exact same problem that they are addicted to their phones, to television, to TV shows, whatever it is. Uh, you agree with me on that? Do you not? Oh, absolutely. While you're saying that, I was thinking about and my youngest and I uh, were out recently and we went to a restaurant and I said, hey, look around right now. I said, count how many phones you see. I think you stopped counting after 10. Right. And we were in a medium sized restaurant. But point of that was you had families, you had couples and it was head down facing the screen and life's happening all around them. And it was parents. You know, there was a couple sitting there with three kids. Every kid had a tablet and they're at a restaurant. It's like never mind the argument about dinner at home anymore and the dinner table. But to be out at a restaurant, which used to be a special deal, maybe not for some families. But for mine, it was like we'd go out and that's where some of my fondest memories with my family at time, my nucleus family happened. Same thing with my kids and, and my youngest and I were sitting there and he had his, you know, we had some you know, crowns out. We're coloring, we're, we're playing tic-tac-toe, we're doing this. We were in the moment, but looking around, it wasn't, that wasn't the case for the majority of the people there. And that's something that it comes back to we miss it or too many parents miss that your kids are going to be out like that. You know, my oldest is 14. He's going to be gone in four years and it's forever different, right? Forever different. And you never get those days back, but we're allowing, we're essentially allowing the internet video games that are programmed to kick off signals in a child's head to want to continue to play that game. They literally do studies for that. So am I going to let video games, the internet and all that raise my kids and give them the opportunity to push my kids in a direction of what they believe and how they feel? No, they're already showing that kids now because of technology, because of internet, because of these video games, anxiety is higher. Self-confidence is lower, right? Depression all time high, right? You talk about the, the social the social media or the social dilemma, the part that got me the most was the number of attempted suicides and the number of, of harm. I can't remember what they called it, but essentially calling out for help, acting like we were going to commit suicide in the ages of like 12 to 16 because of the bombardment with social media. It's ugly, right? It is absolutely ugly. What is in front of our, our kids faces. 
And that falls directly on a parent's shoulder, right? hundred percent is where that falls. And it's, it's sad to me when I see this and go, you're missing it. You're, you're 100% missing this opportunity with your child. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, and you know, it's not even like it's an isolated problem. It is so widespread. Like you said, I mean, you were in a restaurant and you said most of the tables probably looked like that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's weird to see society and people evolve in the face of new things, especially like social media, like you said, designed to keep you engaged on it. Um, and I just kind of wonder what the next 10 years is going to look like. You know, what are, what are kids your son's age going to look like 10 years from now? Um, Here's the thing on that, Trey. So what I'm doing, I consider myself a part of a community. There are guys that I talk to on a regular basis that, that I have now made a part of a circle in my life that... I want to fight that. I want to be a part of that. That to me is one of the biggest pandemics we're facing right now is the battle for our families now, right? I, I can't stress that enough that like in the position that you're in, you have an opportunity. It just depends on what side you want to be on. Because when I look at it and I think about my sons, I go genetically, they are made, and genetic is a fun word to use, especially in today's times, but I'm going to use it genetically. You look at a nine-year-old boy and a nine-year-old girl, guess what? They're going to do different shit. They are going to want to do different things. The girl is going to be a little bit more passive as far as being rambunctious, whereas the nine-year-old boy is not going to be able to explain to you why, but he's going to be like, yeah, I want to climb that tree. Yeah, I want to jump off of that. You add a body of water and the, the, the percentage of opportunity to be hurt increases that much more because it's just in you as a boy. But we're trying to snuff that out. We're trying to say, no, that, that's, that's too masculine. That's toxic, right? Let's be a little bit more feminine in how we approach things. That's garbage. It's absolutely garbage what we're doing to kids, specifically boys nowadays, and emasculating them in ways that – it just doesn't even make sense. So my goal is to not only just tell people, hey, if you decide that you want to do something, you can go do it. It falls on you. Don't sit back and complain about your life if you're not going to be willing to take action. So that's part of navigating the intentional life, right? Getting people to want to step outside of their comfort zone. But it's also take a look at the nucleus family, right? How are you going to be better for the best thing that you have in your life? And that is your children. It's the best thing you're ever going to do, right? Short of curing cancer, right? Or, or allowing me to play for Liverpool once. <laughs> it's going to be the best thing that you ever do. Mm. So quit missing it. And that's, that's the message that I'm going for. That's the reason why I'm willing to put myself out there now and potentially get railroaded because I upset every little Sue and Karen out there on the side of the road that has access to internet to cut me down because I say something that they don't want to hear. Like, hey, you're being a bad parent, right? You're neglecting your child, right? You're not evolving with the culture that we're in to protect your child, right? Pedophiles aren't just grabbing kids off the street now. They're attacking them through our homes, through Xbox, through the internet, all of that. So that's, that's where you ask me what navigating the potential life is. It's, it's an easy name for an idea and a mission, that, that we're, we should all be on. I want to jump into that, but I, on that, that note that you just talked about right there, not being engaged enough to know like 
especially what's going on online in your kid's life, you would be probably wouldn't be surprised. You'd be horrified at the messages that my sophomore girls receive on things like Instagram. Right. Yeah. So not to you necessarily, but to everyone listening out there, especially parents, guys, if you don't know what your kid is doing online, um, you're only setting them up to be in danger. So that's just a quick note. Um, I want to dive into the podcast, the things that you talk about. You know, one thing before we get into all of it is I remember a while back, I think you did an episode uh, with your kids. Um, mm -hmm. Talk about that. Why did you do that? What was that like? Uh, what kind of lessons did you learn? So I, I did that, that episode with my oldest. Uh, he was 13 at the time. He's 14 now. But when I started this, it was in the, in the vein of this is something we're going to do together, right? If, I'm, if I want to teach, if I want to help them grow, I can't do that just through words, right? And it's, it's, it's an irony, right? Because we're talking about a podcast. But the action of it was I want your input. So when this thing takes off, you can decide do you, how much do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to help me build like this? This logo that's on my shirt right now is something that my son helped me with, right? Because this for me, I've already got two living legacies, right? So what do I have to lose? Not a thing. I'm already immortal. That's the saying from Matthew McConaughey. I'm not going to take credit for that, but I'm already immortal through them. So why not take the chance to put myself out there and, and let them learn in the process, right? I want them to decide if they want to build on this. Or if they can look at this and go, hey, there's something I want to do. And I have the I have the cojones to actually try. I'm going to fail and that's fine. But I'm going to put myself out and try. The podcast with him is, you know, he's, he's 13 and our children are people, man. Like he has his goals and wishes and wants. I wanted to hear him. Mm -hmm. I wanted him to know that he has a voice, that he can talk about how he feels. I wanted to see how he sees his life through his friends, through me, through his mother, through his brother, through all that and what his feelings were because I can't do anything more than, than give him the opportunity to, to express himself, to communicate with me so that I can then say, I can help here. I can't here. You're going to have to figure that shit out on your own, right? I'm not going to. I'm not going to handcuff him and put him in a bubble and not pretend like the world isn't a scary place, right? I'm going to give him the tools to take it on. And so in that podcast, um, it was that opportunity to say, this is much, as much mine as it is yours. You know, obviously my youngest is a bit too young, right? Uh, I'm very careful with that because I try not to say their names because um, yeah. it is out on the internet. But, you know, I, I look at that and say, come on, man. I want you. I want you to see this. I want you to do this because I think in my mind it only helps him down the road. Mm. There, I saw this really great quote a while back that it basically said that you know the reason that kids are scared to think and express themselves independently is because the adults in their life have taught them that they don't like when they do that. Um, and I love, I love what you're talking about. You know, you're bringing him in to show him what you're doing, but you're also saying, you know, if this isn't something you want to do and you have something else you want to try, go for it and don't have any fear about it. Right. Excellent lesson for our kids. You know, whenever you look at rates of 
kids getting uh, kids getting their driver's license, specifically young ladies. Um, just generally, whenever you put kids in ge- in uncomfortable situations of the current generation, they tend to be crippled to some degree because of the fear of failure. So that being said, how are you instilling a a sense of not fear, I guess, but probably adventure would be the better word in taking risk and making new, taking new uh, paths in your kids. Diversity, 100%. I mean, I, I think that's where uh, I was lucky when, when I was growing up because my mom wanted me, and, and my dad to an extent as well, uh, wanted me trying a lot of different things, right? They wanted me to be involved in a lot of different things. And in that process, you're going to fail. There are going to be hard moments where it just doesn't work out. Maybe it's because you made a wrong decision or maybe it's because that thing is just not in your wheelhouse. And that is okay, right? When I coached, I hated when I had teams that were 9-0, 10-0 because like we're, we're, we're getting too big here. And you learn a hell of a lot more from those missteps, from those losses, Right. So for my kids, it's like, I want you to try this. You want to try this? You say you want to try this? Fine. I give it a little time first. Right. But if they keep coming back to it, okay, let's go. Let's go check it out now. Let's go do it. My oldest wanted to play football. He talked about it for about a year on and off. I had my own mixed feelings about it, but he wanted to do it. He signed up for seventh grade football. Great. I think he's going to play eighth grade football too. I haven't pushed him to play soccer, right? I never wanted that. That was my thing, right? I'm not trying to make him a mini me. I don't want him to be me, right? Absolutely do not want him to be me. So it's the diversity in what you're providing your kids. That's why I would say, you know, I asked my brother actually today, are you going to tell your daughter to go to college? No, I'm not. I'm not going to tell my boys to go to college, right? Will I push them if it makes sense? Absolutely. We all know the scam that is college, right? But I would push in this sense, the experience, right? Too often men try to control their experiences. They want to control their life and those experiences, but the soul cries out for adventure. And that adventure is the experience that helps us grow. And for me, that's where I see college and things like that, a trade school, whatever. That's where that falls in line, right? But it's the diversity that is going to help you learn to overcome, right? It's going to help you learn to fail and to succeed. Hmm. No, I'm glad that you're instilling that in your kids. Uh, one thing that we've been really talking about um, as a school, but also I look at it as a society, is that currently uh, kids that are graduating in 2025, uh, they're estimating that they will change careers, not jobs, but that they will change careers four to five times before they retire. And having that diversity that you're talking about, having the ability to switch gears and engage in something and try your damnedest to be the best at it. That is going to be such a necessary thing to be a successful thriving person probably for the next couple decades. So the intentional life podcast, um, I'm sure you talk about a whole lot of stuff on there, obviously. Um, we've already covered some of those topics. What are some things that you would like to talk about um, that you discuss on the podcast that we haven't covered already? So I'm excited about the the episode that's coming out this Sunday. Uh, the gentleman that I have on, his name is Anthony, Anthony Migliaroni. 
And he has a an Instagram page. Uh, he's got Twitter. He's got Facebook. But it's at Peaceful Fathers on Instagram. It's his his brand is Peaceful Fathers, and the whole concept is he, he, he doesn't want you to rule your kids through that iron fist, old school. He believes spanking is corporal punishment, basically in the home. He compares spanking to spousal abuse. I can tell you right now, over my years growing up as a child, my ass got spanked a lot, a lot. But that was that generation. And I'm not mad at my parents for it, right? I'm not, trust me, I'm not whining about that. I deserved it and a lot more. But when I look at that message that I'm sending to my child through spanking, one, it's, it's a message of violence. Two, I'm going to hit my kid for hitting somebody else. That's contradictory and hypocritical. But then three, am I actually instilling the opportunity to process a wrong? on their own and why I'm not going to do it again and, or figure out how to make a better choice next time mm-hmm. because it's not respect. They're afraid. They're afraid. That's not respect. That's fear. Get over that, you know, that fearful respect nonsense, you know, and I got friends that are going to listen to it that it, they're going to not like it. I've already had those conversations. Don't care. So, you know, um, that one I'm excited about, uh, upcoming over the next you know few months, I actually will have uh, a female. I'll have female guests on too, uh, because I think the dynamic of the home is something that is so misunderstood nowadays, especially with the rise of massive feminism and and all this stuff. It's like, look, relationships. It's a teammate thing, right? Sometimes you're going to be the captain, sometimes you're not. But the point is, you support the team and understand that role when it comes up. So I like the idea and I want strong women on the podcast um, so that others out there can look at it and go, you don't have to be submissive to be a wife, right? Sometimes you're going to be, and that's okay, right? I can't think of one woman that's going, I really would like a really soft man in my life that I have to babysit, right? Forget that shit. There's a reason women like six foot two guys, right? They want to know they're protected. I'm five, nine. It's a struggle, but that's something that I'm excited about in the podcast coming up. Um, we'll break down addiction as well. That's the other part of, as far as homes go, um, that, that there's a massive issue with addiction and it's totally different now. It's totally different nowadays than it was 50 years ago. We're not talking mad men. I like to have my scotch every night and sometimes get a little rough with my wife. It is porn. It is TV. It is alcohol, drugs, those, those mainstays that that we are going to get into and then the last one it's the lack of addiction to um a strong moral foundation i i believe strongly i have faith uh i have my christian beliefs um my podcast is not about bringing you to jesus but my podcast is about making sure that you do have a moral foundation that is going to be quality that my sons can be around it to an extent if that makes sense um so that's the direction we're going. We've got some good big things coming up that I'm excited about. Um, so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> no, absolutely, man. That's awesome to hear. Uh, we're getting close to an hour, so I'm going to kind of uh, bring the train back into station to some degree. Sure. Um, as this is an education podcast, uh, you're a parent. Um, I'm sure that you have opinions about what your kids are learning in school, what you want them to be learning. So that being said, um, as a parent, what would you like to see the education system do better for your sons? Oh, that's a big one, man. Um, it's my opinion that 
we need to be as adults, as transparent with our kids as possible. Um, I think it's a very tough task you guys have of, of keeping politics out of the school, but teaching just straight up what is and what isn't right. When we start talking about history, government, things of those, those, those natures, I think it's a, it's a shame that they've taken religion out of school. Uh, I think it takes away from how diverse and the melting pot that we are um, in the United States to not have a bigger deep dive into to all of those things. And maybe, maybe I'm, I'm disconnected from that and there's, there's some better stuff going on now, but um, I think there has to be a shift in what's really important um, and schools getting kids ready, you know, to, to be adults. And maybe they feel like they're doing that, but everything being based on tests, I, I, I completely disagree with that. Give them the opportunity to apply through action, you know, not through memorization, action, right? At no point, you know, my son's arguing about math with me all the time. Unless I specialize, there are certain aspects of math that I am never going to use again after school. I think that's a waste, right? I think some of, I think some of the trade school type things need to be a bigger focus. Things that will actually apply in our society today outside of, you know, if they decide to go off and get a, you know, a BS and by BS, I mean, bullshit, you know, business degree, right? That's, that's, I, that's the biggest problem that I see. Um, I think they need to make it harder for teachers to become teachers. I really do. And, you know, I, I say that as a, as a, as a man that has a family that my dad's a principal, a lot of my friends are teachers. I, I respect the job massively. But I also think just like in anything, um, we've got a lot of bad eggs that took the route because maybe it was the fewest amount of credits that they wanted to deal with. Right. So I think we need to make that process a little bit more stringent um, and make it uh, make it more enjoyable for the child. Right. Get away from all this testing nonsense. Like just apply application, real life skills in action. That's what I think. Glad to hear you say that. Um, you know, I'm teaching, I'm going back teaching seniors this year and uh, I'm having them their last, uh, last semester, they have to engage in a civic project. Now this is an English course, but they have to engage in a civic project where they identify a major problem in, uh, in their town or in their larger community that they see. And then we go through the process over the course of like, eight or nine weeks of figuring out the avenues that you have to go through to try to get something like that fixed. Um, so I'm interested to see how that goes. Uh, everything you just said, man, I, I really wish, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of problems that you just listed off. I completely agree with. So, um, last question. We always like to try to end on a really positive note. Uh, sure. who was the most influential teacher in your life? Not, it doesn't have to be a teacher. It could be a coach, could be a person, whatever. Oh man, what a question. Um, I, I've been lucky enough. I've had a lot of really good people around me growing up. Um, as, as far as teachers go, uh, Mrs. Robertson uh, was my eighth grade, ninth grade, and I think I got her later on as well, uh, English teacher. She was real with us. Right. Mr. Wilcox was a government teacher. Um, he was the first teacher that that called me a name openly in class. He called me a jerk. And then uh, my senior year, um, I don't think he's teaching anymore, but uh, I hope not. He called me an asshole. And I and I was I was being one. I was 18. You know how it is. Right. Like 100 percent. But they 
the, the thing that made them so influential to me um, and Mr. Sandmillan uh, was assistant principal. They were real with us, right? We, we felt like adults, right? And so we wanted to be treated like adults, even though our brains were child brains, right? We still weren't, we, you know, your brain doesn't want to develop until like 25 fully as far as adult concepts and constructs go. So for them to treat us like what we had to say, what we felt, what we were experiencing mattered was huge. And that's why I can call them out and say, I thank them for the way they, they treated me and the way they treated my friends around me and, and the way we interacted. And they made us believe that, that we could go out and, and do, do good things, right? They, ta- they just had those simple, open conversations with us. And I think in your position, I love that you're a teacher. I have full faith that you're able to steer these kids in the right direction. You were a great kid growing up. Um, your parents are fantastic people. I think that helps massively in who you are now. And now you're getting to, to give that back, right, through what you're doing. It's a great responsibility, and I couldn't think of a better set of shoulders for it to fall on than yours, right? So take that as a I'm super proud of you kind of thing that I'm saying right now. Well, I appreciate that, man. That does mean a lot. Um, you know, even whenever you're a kid, you have all these different people in your life that, you know, some are there longer than others, but uh, you certainly left a mark on me. I will never forget that. Uh, you were one of the people that really pushed me, to be honest. At, at a time in my life, whenever I needed to be pushed, uh, you were the voice that I needed, regardless of how uh, how ripe you were in terms of your <laughs> It's a nice way to say how crazy I was. <laughs> Well, uh, Justin, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, can you plug websites, anything like that uh, for people that might want to go check out your your blog and everything? Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram right now at, at Justin Copeland underscore. We've also started the Instagram page at Navigating the Intentional Life. Uh, you can find my podcast on most of the platforms, uh, Navigating the Intentional Life on Apple, Spotify, uh, Google Podcast and Anchor. Um, we have our website coming out in the next month that will be uh, at the navigatingtheintentionallife.com. Um, look for it there and uh, the blog by the same name once that landing page hits, uh, along with a, a, a book of the same name that will be coming out, um, I believe, by the end of September. So those are uh, the areas that you can find me. Please reach out, share, like. The other thing I can say is this in closing, Trey, and I'll let you do your thing. But for those of you that listen, the message that Trey is putting out is something that you should absolutely follow, take in and subscribe, like, share, get it to whoever you can, uh, because this is the message and Trey is the kind of man that we need to continue to better where we're at, especially with everything that we've got going on in the war over our children, the war over our hearts, the war over our masculinity, all of it. Follow it, like it and share it. Trey, thank you so much, man. Absolutely. Guys, thanks to everyone who has uh, listened to this whole episode. Um, please make sure you go check out the intention or navigating the intentional life. Um, like I said, school's about to start up. It's going to be busy. Please keep up with episodes if you can. We're still waiting to hear back from the other superintendent candidates for the state. Uh, and I'm not really sure if we're going to be able to get them on until probably closer to the election time. So, Uh, From Teacher's Pet, this is Trey Kabler. Y'all have a great rest of your weekend, and we will talk to you again very, very soon.